Well, good morning, church family. And happy new year. Look, I am excited to say that, look, although we're only in the first week of the new year, I have kept my New Year's resolution so far. <laughs> I'm off to a really good start. So you may be thinking, well, what's your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to never create another New Year's resolution. <laughs> so I just ask that you continue to pray for me and that I can, take <laughs> I can continue this for the rest of the year. I am Ross Owens. I'm one of the pastors here at Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and I am excited to bring you God's Word this weekend as we do kick off a new sermon series titled Justice for All. Now, during this time, we are going to cover various aspects of what justice means in the Bible. And for example, like Pastor Blaine previously stated, next week, our lead pastor, Alan Hanna, will cover justice for the oppressed. And then the following weekend, we'll cover justice for the overlooked. And to close our series, we've actually invited Executive Director from Light of Life Ministries, Jarrell Gilliam, and he's going to cover justice for the outcast. Now, given his ministry to those without a home, Pastor Allen thought it would be a great topic to wrap up our series. But to kick things off, I am going to focus on, focus on justice as the character of God. But first, let me say this. Anytime we approach God's word, we must distinguish biblical truth from cultural trends and ideologies. I personally have been guilty of opening up the word of God, reading it, and thinking, what does this mean for me, and how should I apply it? But the reality is the question really is, what does God mean and how does he want me to apply it? See, simply shifting that focus from me to God helps me look at both my life and today's culture through the lens of scripture and not look at scripture through the lens of culture and my personal experiences. So during this message and our series on justice, you will hear words and biblical principles that have been hijacked by culture and our personal predispositions. And if we're not okay to understand what God means and how he wants us to apply his word, we'll end up substituting biblical revelation from cultural relativism. So as we dive into God's word, I encourage you to pay close attention to your emotions when certain words and biblical principles arrive. So to make sure that your interpretation and application of them derives from God's timeless truths and not our ever-changing culture. So church family, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to freely come and worship, to learn, and to pray. We never want to take for granted, Lord, that there are people who risk their lives to do what we freely can do. It is a blessing to come into the house of the Lord. And God, as I deliver your word, I first ask that you forgive me for any sin I may have committed. 
<laughs> Lord, I try to get it right, but I know for a fact that I mess up sometimes, but I thank you for your grace. And Lord, I ask that as your word goes forward, that your Holy Spirit goes before me and touch each person here on the north side at our homestead campus and even those that are watching online. Begin to cultivate our hearts to be good soil so that as your word lands, it will grow. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for a fresh anointing from you. I pray that lives will be changed, hearts will be reshaped, and people will grow closer to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we study justice being a characteristic of God, I'm going to do my best to answer the following four questions. And they are, number one. How should we understand the idea of justice from a biblical perspective? Number two, how should we define biblical justice? Number three, how did Jesus apply biblical justice? And number four, how should we as a body of believers apply biblical justice? So let's look at question number one. How should we understand the idea of, biblical, of justice from a biblical perspective? Well, we must accept the fact that God is just, which means everything that he does is right and it's fair. See, it's that understanding that God is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes, and he is just in distributing both rewards and he's equally as just in distributing punishment. Now, I like the way that A.W. Tozer puts this as he adds to this explanation of God being just by saying, justice is not something that God has, but justice is something that God is. And what Tozer is saying is that God doesn't develop into someone who is just over time, and he isn't just just on certain occasions. However, justice isn't something either that is external to him. It's actually one of his characteristics. So when God exercises just justice, he's not doing so to conform to some outside criteria, some outside principle, or a standard that was imposed on him by someone or something else. His perfect law derives from his perfect nature. Therefore, we can all say with certainty that he is just in all his ways. So how should we understand the idea of justice from a biblical perspective? It's these three things. First, God is just. God is just and justice is a part of his character. God is always just and cannot be unjust. And finally, God defines and sets the standard for justice. So the key takeaway to this first question is this. Justice begins and justice ends with God. It's nothing imposed on him. It's not anything he has to learn. He doesn't go to justice class to figure out how to be just. He is just because he is God. Now, this brings us to our next question, question number two. So how should we then define biblical justice? Well, biblical justice in its simplest form means to set things right. See, it's the concept of making right what was made wrong. But in the book of 
But in his book, Generous Justice, Tim Keller provides a more thorough biblical understanding of justice by looking at the original Hebrew word mishpat, which means to treat people fairly. See, it's the idea that anyone who does something illegal or morally wrong, they should be treated with the same standard as everyone else. Regardless of one's ethnicity or social economic status, they should be punished, but the punishment should fit the crime. And while the perpetrator is paying for his or, own, his or her crime, the victim receives a level of care or protection from the perpetrator. But interestingly enough, Keller goes on to explain that the Hebrew word mishpat means more than just the punishment of the perpetrator and the security of the victim. It also means giving people their rights or giving people what they're due. In the scripture, we see this played out in the book of Deuteronomy 18 as provisions were made for both the priest and the Levites. It says this. This is the share due or this is the share mishpat, the priest from the people who sacrifice a bull or a sheep. Once the people sacrifice a bull of the sheep, the priest, they should receive the shoulder, the internal organs, and the meat from the head. So what is verse 3 saying? It's saying that the, the priest should receive what they are due. Or as you sacrifice, the priest has a right to some of that sacrifice. In other words, the priest, they have a right to go to the Texan Brazilian steakhouse and get their eat on. That's the scripture according to Ross. <laughs> so what they're saying in Deuteronomy is that this word mishpat also talks about giving people what they have a right to have or making sure that everyone has their due. So with that in mind, let's talk about a definition for the word mishpat. It means this. It means giving people what they're due, whether it's providing punishment, protection, or care. It's punishment for those that who do wrong, protection for those who were wronged, and care for everyone because they have a right to be cared for. But interestingly enough, it doesn't stop there. See, Tim Keller and other scholars suggest that to fully understand the biblical idea of justice, we must also consider a second Hebrew word, which is sadaka, and that is translated as being just or being righteous. So what we see here is sadaka and justice go together. And sadaka again, is this concept of everything that you do, you're being righteous, and this is where we get the English word righteousness. And it is characterized by the concept of living in a right relationship with everyone. Now, interestingly enough, and I'm guilty of this myself, when most people hear that word righteousness in Scripture, we often tend to think of it solely in terms of integrity and honesty, which is not totally wrong. However, in Scripture, Sadaka already also refers to community loyalty or day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and in society with fairness and generosity. So it's not surprising to discover that mishpat, which is justice, and tzedakah, which is righteousness, 
are often mentioned together in the Bible. And Keller and other scholars suggest that this English word that best describes justice and righteousness is the word social justice. And in scripture, it's these two words are mentioned together over 30 separate times. For example, in the Old Testament, we see in Jeremiah 22, it says, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food or drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. Then we see in Jeremiah 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. We go on to the book of Ezekiel 33, and it says, And if a wicked person turns away from their wickedness and does what is right and just, they will live by doing so. And in the book of Isaiah 33, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and his righteousness. So what we see throughout the Old Testament is this theme of just treatment among everyone in society, and it is consistently played out in the Old Testament. See, over and over again, God reminds his people that community loyalty is more important than religious practices. In the book of Isaiah, the 58th chapter, God actually condemns his people when they were fasting and participating in religious rituals, but at the same time, they were ignoring and oppressing the poor people among them. Isaiah 58 says this, Is this not the fast which I chose to loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see them naked? You didn't cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh. The bottom line is this. Justice and righteousness has social implications. And God is more concerned about how you treat others than he is on how often we take communion, how much we give, how well we can sing, and how many times we say amen. And this leads me to believe that as a believer, any time that I willfully ignore the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized, I'm doing an injustice to God and to society. So how should we define biblical justice? It's defined as this. Biblical justice is creating and shaping social conditions so that every community member can flourish. And these conditions is for fairness in how laws are applied to the perpetrator and the victim. And it's also fairness in providing opportunity for everyone in society to flourish regardless of their ethnicity, their politics, their social economic status, or their beliefs. Church family, 
Biblical justice involves the shaping of individual hearts and societal structures into the image of God's righteousness and justice. And its goal is to make sure every member of a community truly flourishes. And for people to flourish doesn't mean that you accept everything they say or do, but it does mean you treat everyone in society with both dignity and respect. So let's stop right there. This is an awesome time for us to really check our emotions. I know hearing words like justice and social justice means different things to different people. Some people are encouraged, but other people may be discouraged, and some people are probably ready to walk out to church. Why? Because the enemy has done a great job of redefining these biblical truths so that when we hear words like justice, when we hear words like social justice, some people become defensive and enraged instead of being encouraged. See, a just society where everyone flourishes that's founded upon biblical truth is something that we as believers should all be excited about. Why? Because accepting this principle and living it out serves as a continuous reminder of how God's grace through his son Jesus Christ changed us. Which is why this next question is so important. Question three is this. How did Jesus apply biblical justice? So in the New Testament, Jesus actually demonstrates those Old Testament instructions uh, by describing a kingdom of God ruled by one commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. For example, we see in the book of Matthew in chapter 19, Jesus tells a rich young ruler that if he really wanted to be rich, to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor. Now look. Bruh, I struggle with that one. It's one thing for God to say, everything that you have, your couch, your living room, your TV, take that and give it to the poor. Because the understanding is, well, I just go out and buy something else. So it's easy to give what's already used to someone else. But God told this man, take everything that you have, your TV, your couch, your, your living room set, take it and go sell it, and then take the currency and then give that currency to someone else. Bruh. I'm like, Lord, we got to talk. God challenging, challenges us to prioritize these earthly things with his godly commandments. And so a commandment like this, I know for me personally, I would struggle with. So I look at this scripture here. And I say, thank God I wasn't living back then and Lord didn't tell me that. <laughs> but what we see in another story is Jesus condemns a wealthy man who ignored the sick beggar Lazarus at his gate. And in Matthew 25, he declares ju God's judgment upon the nations with this single question. This is what he asks. He said that you feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, Tend to the sick and care for the prisoner. And then he says this. 
He says, to the extent that you do it to one of them, to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of these, you've done it to me. See, our service to the least of these and the marginalized is not ultimately to benefit the poor, but it's done because we love Jesus. And in scripture, Jesus was asking, are you creating and shaping societal conditions so that every member of a community can flourish? And when we look at scripture, we see that this is the life that Jesus lived when he was on earth. He provided food for the hungry. He hung out with those who were marginalized. He provided care for a woman who was actually caught in adultery. And look at this. He even hung out with those who were hated because they ended up oppressing other people. But Jesus hung out with them because people didn't like them. So what we see is Jesus was so compassionate. If you think about it, he is the one who not only healed a leper, but the Bible lets us know that he reached out his hand and he touched them. Can you imagine being an outcast in a society where people scream at you, where people holler at you, where people judge you, and you haven't had a human touch in many years? But you sit outside the city and you watch the weddings going on. You watch the parties going on. And everyone's hugging and kissing. But yet you're standing out here and you haven't had a human interaction. You haven't had human interaction in many years. But when Jesus saw this man, he realized he not only needed healed, but he needed a touch. This is the life that Jesus lived. So to answer the question, how did Jesus apply justice? He loved the easiest people to hate. He showed respect to the disrespected. And he blessed those who could offer him nothing in return. Jesus came to seek and save those which were lost, but he also came to help everyone in society to flourish by treating them with dignity and respect. Now, what I like about scripture is justice in the Old Testament and justice in the New Testament comes together in Psalm 89, where it says this. It says righteousness and justice, look at this, are the foundation of your throne. Think about it. Anytime a king has a kingdom, the throne is where the king actually actually reigns. It's from the throne that all decrees are made. It's from the throne where direction is given. It's from the throne where his authority reigns amongst the whole kingdom. And what the psalmist is saying here is it's from this throne that God reigns where he gives all his commandments. This throne is founded by righteousness and justice. In other words, every decree that God makes, everything that he says we're to do is based off of the foundation that everyone in society and everyone in our community should flourish. So if we think about that and we look at God's commandments, the commandment to, uh, his commandment about marriage, about having children, about raising children. His commandments are about our single identity, about idolatry, oppression, and racism. All these commandments are given from the foundation that everyone in society has flourished. Well, what does this mean? It means that everything that God commands is for our benefit. Everything that God says is so that we can flourish. 
So what this means is God doesn't, he's not trying to hinder you. God isn't trying to hold you back. His commandments are designed so that everyone can flourish. Lord, I don't understand why you say that because I feel this certain kind of way. Lord, this doesn't make sense because I have to sacrifice so much. Well, it's not just about you and how you feel. His commandments are given so that everyone in society can flourish. And as he exercises righteousness and and justice, he does it with us in mind because we bear his image. See, even in our disobedience, he treats us with infinite dignity and respect. Think about it. Since God is just and justice begins and ends with God, he said that the wages of sin is death. Well, that's justice. Anytime someone sins, someone deserves to die because in order for the sins to be remitted, blood has to be shed. So according to God, justice is from the moment you sin, uh, the wages of sin is death. So if we look at when Adam and Eve sinned, God had every right to remove them from the face of the earth. However, since they were made in his image and we are his most cherished creation and we reflect God's beauty and character, God said, look, I am a just God. So something has to die. But what God did was while he extended justice, he also extended grace. And instead of taking Adam and Eve out, what did God do? He looked at his creation that was not created in his image and he killed them, took their skins, and he ended up covering the sins of Adam and Eve. Because they were made in his image, although they sinned, Although God didn't agree with what they were doing, he treated them with infinite dignity and respect by killing an animal and covering up their sins. Why? Because they bear his image. In church family, we bear God's image. And God wants us to do what he does by creating and shaping societal conditions so that everyone in the community can flourish. Why? Because that is the foundation of God's throne. And since sin made things wrong for his image bearer, (laughs) he sent his son Jesus Christ to do justice by making what was wrong and turning it into something that's right. And while we look at the punishment that we deserve and what Jesus did for us, we say, Jesus, you were a person who loves the easiest people to hate. You show respect to the disrespected. And you bless those who cannot offer you anything in return. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls each and every one of us to do the same. Now, let me be very clear. Jesus doesn't say all these things, uh, that everything we do for the poor is a means of us receiving salvation. It's not about our works, but rather it's a sign that we are already saved. See, in Matthew 25, starting with verse 40, he tells the sheep, and you got to realize what the sheep were, were those people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who were taking care of the poor. What Jesus tells them is when you embrace the poor, you embrace me. And at the same time, what he did was he told the goats, and the goats were those who didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ and who were oppressing the poor. He told them, when you ignored the poor, you ignored me. 
See, this means that your attitude to the poor reveals your attitude toward Christ. And in the same way, your attitude toward the marginalized, the widows, the immigrant, along with your attitude, attitude toward other ethnicities, those who struggle with addiction and their identity, it reveals your attitude toward Christ. And this leads us to our final question. How should we, as a body of believers, apply biblical justice? Well, look, I like the way that John Perkins puts it. See, he wrote a book that actually shares the same title as our sermon series, Justice for All. And in his book, he says this. He says, I am persuaded that the church, as the steward of this gospel, holds the key to justice in our society. He goes on to state that either justice will come through us or it will not come at all. I could not agree more with John Perkins. Think about it. It's Christianity that has always led the way for social change around the globe. In areas such as healthcare, education, civil rights, serving the poor, caring for the prisoner, caring for the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. It has been Christians that has led the way around the globe. Now look. Has the church always done everything perfectly? Absolutely not. But has the church led the way in making significant strides? Absolutely. And church family, that's why I love what God has done for us and through us here at ACAC. If you think about the ministries that we have and the ministry partners who we serve with, such as after-school program, kayak, Pittsburgh Behavioral Services, Christian Legal Aid, or Aftercare Prison Ministry, Refugee Ministry, The Nest, Light of Life Ministries, the work that our missionaries are doing both locally and around the globe, what God has done was place justice in our hearts. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, we've been blessed to make, to create and shape Social societal conditions so that everyone here on the north side, around the city, and around the globe can flourish. So, how should we do biblical justice? The reality is this. I cannot tell you how to do biblical justice. Only God can tell you that. And in most cases, you probably already know it may be that thing that breaks your heart every time you see it. Back in October, we had a young man who was 19 years old who got shot right down the street here at a bus stop. When I saw that, my heart broke. This young man was 19 years old. And the people who did the shooting didn't have a care in the world for the people around him. If that wasn't bad enough, at his funeral, they did a drive-by shooting. That is horrific. My heart broke for that. Then last week we see a police officer, a sergeant in Breckenridge, who was killed. This man is trying to serve and protect, but yet somebody took his life. So what we see constantly is the impact of poverty. Someone once described it as people who live in poverty are like people living in a jungle. As they walk, they're worrying about 
food insecurities. They're worried about if a lion or a tiger is going to jump out and attack them. And because of this heightened sense of awareness and never relaxing, never going on vacation, always living in fear, always trying to worry about where the next meal is coming from, it does something psychologically to their brain. Think about that. That's how people are living around the globe who live in poverty. A lot of their actions is based off of uh, food insecurities and PTSD. But yet when we look at them, we want to judge them. Yet when we look at them, we talk about, we call them animals. They're not animals. They bear God's image. But yet we want to judge them. We want to talk about them. No, my heart breaks for people in poverty. The bottom line is poverty is not inevitable. It doesn't have to happen. We have enough resources on this earth so no one can go hungry. We have enough resources on this earth so everyone can have a home, everyone can have food, everyone can get an education. So poverty is not inevitable. We have not changed societal conditions so that everyone can flourish. So when we see those things, my heart breaks. So what breaks your heart? That may be the very thing that God is calling you to do so that everyone in society can flourish. But also, it may be the thing that you criticize the most. It may be that people group who you're always judging. Church family, we need to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. And stop looking at people and judging them and say, God, when you want to send me to these people over here, I'm going in the opposite direction. The very people who you criticize, who you judge, and you want to disenfranchise may actually be God pricking your heart to do justice. So pay attention to your emotions. Because the people you dislike the most may be the people who God is sending you to to love them the most. So in any case... In order for us to figure out how to do justice, I invite you to do these three things. Number one, pray about it. I guarantee that as you pray about it, the Lord will reveal it. And you may discover it's something that's been inside of you the entire time. After you pray about it, learn about it. I'm not talking about jumping on Google and doing uh, confirmation bias. I start Googling things that I agree with. Oop, I knew these people were like that. Oop, I knew this was going to happen. Oop, I knew these people that doesn't, de- doesn't deserve God's grace. Don't do confirmation bias, but be ready to be challenged. Be ready to learn something different. Be ready to drill down into someone or a topic or a people group and learn why they choose the things that they choose. Don't be afraid to learn something new and open yourself to realize you probably don't know what you think you know. And finally, with the power of the Holy Spirit, do something about it. Advocate for them. Be a voice for them. Serve them. Use your time, your talent, and your treasure to make sure everyone in that community will flourish. Flourishing isn't agreeing with everything they'd say. Flourishing isn't agreeing with everything they do. But it's availing yourself to treat them with both dignity 
and respect. So as I close, what we saw on the opening slide for our sermon series was the scripture Micah 6, 8, where it says, what does the Lord require of thee? The scripture goes on to say, to do justice. This is a perpetual verb. It means justice isn't a one-time thing. It's something that you constantly do. It tells us to do justice, to look for opportunities to do justice every day of the week, everywhere we go, in our life, in our family, and those in society. The scripture says to do justice. It's a perpetual verb that we're supposed to always seek the Holy Spirit on how to do it. And while you're doing justice, the next part says, you need to love mercy. Why? Because mercy got you where you are right now. It was God's mercy and God's grace that allows us to worship here today. And then it tells us to walk humbly with God. Throw your criticism in the drawer. Let's start, stop criticizing people and let's look for the best in them because they bear God's image. The Holy Spirit draws us to justice and it's something that we are commanded to do. But to accomplish this in a God-honoring way, we must undo the steady diet of lies that we've been fed about justice and about other people. Church family, if you don't remember anything else from this message, remember this. Stop letting unsaved people tell you how to live a saved life. Stop allowing the enemy to push you away from the very thing that God wants to pull us toward. The Bible is clear on justice, on righteousness, on diversity, on racism. It's clear about how to treat the poor, how to treat the widow, the marginalized, the vulnerable, and the immigrant. The bottom line is this. The Bible tells us how to treat everyone. But we quench the Holy Spirit when we do unto others as society tells us how to do it. So as I close, I want you to do one last check on your emotions. Unfortunately, people don't like words like justice and social justice because it dissuades us from doing what God wants us to do. Know the enemy is very strategic in using these words and principles to divide God's people. Why? Because he understands the impact justice will have on our society and the kingdom of God if we happen to embrace them. And we should choose to embrace them and be unapologetic about it. Why? Because justice is a character of God. Therefore, it should be part of our character. It should be who we are because it's who God is. And therefore, we should do justice. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you sent your Son, our Savior, to do justice. God, we thank you that he took the punishment that we deserve is an example of justice and mercy walking side by side. God, we thank you so much that you have filled us with your uh, Holy Spirit 
And now we have the obligation and privilege to do justice and to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. But we can't do it without you. God, we ask that you change our hearts. We ask that you move us into repentance for the way we treated certain people, for the things we said, and for those who we criticized. Give us the power to repent, but then walk boldly in your grace. God, I'm excited to see what you're going to continue to do through this body of believers, through this church, here on the north side and around the globe. But in order to accomplish what you have called us to do, we need to humble ourselves. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, which is a raise up a people to follow in the commandments of God with authority and with love. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, please stand for the benediction. Well, hey, as you go about your week, remember, since justice is a part of God's character, strive to make it a part of yours. And ask the Lord how he wants you to do justice. So during your week, Pray about it, learn about it, then with the, Holy, with the power of the Holy Spirit, do something about it. May God bless you and Happy New Year to you.